Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome, everybody. It's Parks and Recollection. I feel so good every time I hear that Mouse Rat song. It just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. I hope it it does to you, too. How you doing, Alan? How you feeling today, Alan? Yang is with us, as always. I'm doing good. Doing good, Rolo. How about yourself? I'm good. The Rolo is good. The Rolo is rolling. Well, no. If I, that means that I'd be on ecstasy if I said that. If I said Rolo's rolling, you're on ecstasies or you're leaving the pod. Both of which might be possible, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling. Let's bounce. Let's roll. <laughs> yeah. Right, some yeah. something like that. Um, we got a good one today. This is a, a episode twenty. Episode twenty, boy, of season two. We're we're getting close to Traeger time. We're getting close to Rob and Adam joining the show. How fun is that, man? Countdown. This is exciting. This is exciting. I, think it's, I think it's time to start the countdown. I mean, it's tw- it's like imminent. Yeah, it's a couple weeks away. So, I mean, you could feel the, the audience excitement in, in March of 20, 2010 when this aired was palpable because they knew <laughs> two handsome men were about to join the show. <laughs> so, uh, there's, there's an odd, there's a, there's a the, yeah, you could, a tangible heat in this episode. Hot, hot. Um, shall, well, we, shall we get into what this one's about? And by about? the way, is what's, what's more hot than summer? And this is Summer Catalog. And see the way we're professional podcasters. We know how to, to weave storylines together. This is episode 20 of season two, and it aired on March 25th, 2010, written by Katie Dippold and directed by Ken Whittingham. Katie, a great, great writer, has been a guest of us before many times, and um, I'm sitting back and I'm ready for my favorite part of the show, the Alan Yang synopsis. Synopsis, here we go. Synopsisters and brothers, here we go. While working on the Pawnee Summer Catalog, Leslie excitedly organizes a reunion between Ron and his three predecessors. She anticipates a Joyce occasion and plans to write a letter about it for the catalog. None of the four men, however, get along with each other, and they all have difficult personalities. Later, a frustrated Leslie decides she can't write the catalog letter. She stops treating the former directors with any respect, calls them turds when she briefly takes a throwaway picture, then walks away. Ron takes Leslie out to dinner to apologize and vows they'll never grow to hate each other the way the four former directors do. Tom is tasked with taking the cover photo of the summer catalog and convinces Ann and Mark to pose for photos at a community park. 
Tom is repeatedly frustrated with Anne, who has a difficult time appearing happy. When the photos are finished, Anne agrees she looks miserable and asks that the pictures not be used. Mark appears concerned that Anne's unhappiness is a reflection of their relationship. Meanwhile, after helping Leslie set up her picnic, Andy asks whether April wants to get drinks after work, and she agrees. However, when they arrive at a bar, the bouncer easily notices April's 20 years old. Andy decides to go home, seemingly uncomfortable about their age difference. Later, the summer catalogs arrive with a photo on the cover of April and Andy appearing happy together at their picnic. Lovely episode. Lovely episode. Very heartfelt by the end there, uh, Rob. Very, very much so. I feel like this might have been the episode where I first visited Parks and Recreation on location, I think. Oh, wow. Where'd you go? The Snake Hole. (laughs) Okay, right, right, right. And we were preparing for new guys to arrive. And you can kind of tell because uh, Ann and Mark are are about to break up, I think is is, is one of the hints, right? It's like they're taking these photos together and it feels like, spoiler alert, they they, they might not make it. Yeah, it's, you definitely feel the Brendanowitz era coming to a close. Yeah, he's just in fewer scenes, and it's like uh, it's 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 like he's doing talking heads. Where like I think everything's going good in the relationship, and then uh, Anne is like, "I'm unhappy." So I feel like he's uh, he's gone pretty soon. And then you know, a couple episodes from now, not to spoil it, but I think you kiss Anne. So I think we're we're we know it's going to happen pretty soon. Yeah, I'm coming in, and I'm kissing my way through Pawnee um, <laughs> immediately. I like the way Leslie compares the summer catalog uh, in Pawnee to Vogue. Yeah, the September issue. This was before that documentary came out. There's a, I think there's a, there's a great doc called the September issue, and, and that's what this is, right? Yeah, and the, yeah, the September issue is the one because that's the where you all the Christmas ads come in. That's wow, why September's a thing. That. When's the last time you flipped through a Vogue? Because it's been a bit for me, I'll confess. Yeah, and it's not. And Vogue isn't what it like. Like all magazines, they're not what they used to be. They just aren't. They don't occupy the same place in the consciousness whatsoever. Yeah. And, and Vogue is just hanging on for dear life. Um, but there was a time when it was like a really, really super big deal. This is a, this is a, a super tangent, but do you think models, again, not to, you know, do you think models ever get upset that these covers are just all celebrities now? It's like not, it's usually not models. Like that's something I noticed about perfume ads too. It's like, it's always like, eh, it's Portman or it's like, you know, yeah. um, it's famous actors or it's, or it's Venus Williams or something. And they're but, never... Yeah. Um, they're rarely men. Like even GQ, yeah. if they can well, find true. their way clear, would rather have a woman. Women sell way better on the stands than men do. And Rob, you, you, you all, Rob, always looking out for the handsome men, though. Listen, always having. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for us handsome <laughs> you, men. We're not you getting feel the covers, their pain, man. I love that. Yeah, but no, it's true because it's like it used to be models. Vogue cover used to always be models, and and, and now it's uh, now it's often just famous people. But you know what? People love famous people too. Rob, you'll always be a famous person, so you got that going for you. By the way, people I, love celebrities. <laughs> I, but I'll tell you what. I let me ask you. Okay, how many times do you think I've been on the cover of GQ? I don't know, man. That just feels like a trap for me it's as your trap. friend. <laughs> it's a trap. I'm going to say a hundred. <laughs> well, let me say, when do you, what year was the first year I was on the cover of GQ? I would say the eighties. It's got to be right. How about four years ago? Wow. I mean, that's actually incredible. How, GQ, GQ has been around for a long time, right? So it was around. Never, ever, 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 ever in all the different iterations of my career have I, was I ever on the cover of GQ? until about four or five years ago. D- 
I mean, and I love Zach Galifianakis, but I remember that was the one that made me jump off of a Dude, boot. I love that idea of you picking up GQ. This is a scene in a movie. <laughs> you picking it up and Zach is on the cover. <laughs> that is tremendous content. Just the look on your face, just a single tear, man. It's like, man, Zach G made it before me. Zach like, G. <laughs> coming out pretty, hot. That's pretty funny. I'm 40 uh, years down the road ahead of them. I'm still not no, on the cover of GQ. <laughs> I bet, I bet if he heard this story, he would laugh too. He would be He'd like, be happy. I, I don't de- he's like, sh- I don't deserve it. Yeah, he's like, I don't deserve it. Listen, but you know, it's like Ty Cobb said, it ain't bragging if you've done it. The man did it. I mean, yeah, well, you guys are both, you know, you guys are both in the club now. You yeah. guys are both in the I club. I finally made it. But it made me laugh. Li- the whole obsession with magazines made me laugh because it feels very like of the other of another time. That was incredible. So it begins it, it very early in the episode. Tom is doing a presentation about the catalog and he opens it by saying, I love ads, right? He's like, <laughs> I lo- he loves magazine ads. And you're like, wow, this is now so dated. Because if that character existed now, he'd be talking about TikTok videos. He'd be talking about NFTs. He'd be talking about, you know, promoting stuff on social media. In this one, he literally is like, I love ads and I love my TiVo. He mentions TiVo oh at God. some point. Like, it's like, wow, TiVo, that's very specific of the time, right? Does remember the noise that TiVo oh, the would make? It go boop, 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 boop. Such a pleasant noise. It was like a great noise. There's a top six noise in my life. Like that, that I, I got to tell you, I think noises are like I think the success of 24, and I love that show. But half of it was the the noise when they went to the boxes, <laughs> yeah, before the commercials. It's like it was so satisfying. Uh, you know, I mean, you want to talk top TV noises? What about Law and Order? Like, oh my God. Like, that's a, that's a top noise. Top noise. (laughs) Top noise. All of these were noises on the sound effects, Alan. Do you remember in the room? That's right. Yeah. Again, for those who are uninitiated, there was a soundboard in the writer's room that Greg Levine operated, and he would sometimes play the Law and Order sound or the 24 sound. I want a soundboard for this. Yeah. We, we got it. We got to get going. We got someone we had Ben Schwartz on, and he's got, which, we oh yeah we'll get that need to thread there's no reason it shouldn't be in almost every episode it's I, so funny my favorite thing was when you started just making ben schwartz do jean ralphio sounds so that we could use them and he was happy to do it but i was texting with ben later and i was like yeah it's so funny we have all those sounds from you banked now we could just play them in the show uh, yeah that was great i i this was i like when april says can you photoshop your life with better decisions jerry that's a great line <laughs> that scene yeah it's again sets up the jerry game that we used over and over and over again and also it's you know in many episodes tom is giving a presentation he has a glass of whiskey like he's don draper in Mad Men, and so like that like that we, we i remember i specifically remember like saying we should have him do that, right? Someone in the room was pitching. I'm not saying I pitch it, but like he has that. And then that later on in that presentation, he has that picture of him looking pensive with a tiny espresso mug in, in his hand. And we use that photo, I'm, I'm not joking, 20 more times in the show. Like that, I think it was made for this one. It was like a photo shoot we did. You don't have to do, you know, for the, again, for those of you who don't know, we do like still photo shoots to, to get those, you know, images into the show. So you have to schedule that. So it's a pain kind of. But we had that photo. And we just used that photo of Tom over and over and over again for everything. So I laughed when I saw it because I remembered that photo. Tell me about the, the, the there was a, apparently a grammar debate in the writers' room about the spelling of catalog. Oh my god! I'm uh, I, I'm obsessed with this because <laughs> this sounds like yeah this this sounds like a Dan Gore thing or something. Like well, it's the same this, thing as we talked about possum versus opossum. 
I mean, we could go off. <laughs> As we should. What you, could, it, we could go but, off. I think we're going it, to go off. It's So catalog either has just ends in log, like the word log, or ends in a catalog with like L-O-G-U-E. Like, where like do you Donald come down, on, the, where do you come down on this debate? I think I just go simpler. No U-E. How about you? I, I feel like, I, I, why are people using the U-E? That feels British to me or something. I don't and I'm to, not British. I, yeah, I don't need to doff my chapeau. We declared our independence from 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 the UK. That, thank <laughs> we you. Don't, yeah, we don't need that. No, get out uh, of here with that spelling. So, well, Greg, do you remember what the debate was? Was it like we should spell with a UE? Because that seems insane. <laughs> Why would we do that? I, I think it was pretty much just which looked better and which one people wouldn't be so like jarred from seeing. Because this goes way back, but in season one for Alan, your episode Boys Club, we spent like. 30 minutes debating whether or not the apostrophe should be before the Y, before, uh, uh, after the Y or after the S. It's so much gotta so go had, after. It's gotta go to after. Them, <laughs> we put them both on screen and stared at them and, and voted to see which one it should go to. And chromatically, it had to go after the S, but everyone thought it looked weird. And I think by that point, we had a few grammar debates in the room. I mean, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, because cause it isn't, my mom is in it. somewhere that my mom, God rest her, is so happy that we're having, she was an English teacher, having mm. this debate. Because it's not a boy's club that is his. Exactly. It's multiple It belongs boys. to multiple boys. Hence, boys should be plural. And then it's a plural possessive with an apostrophe after it. This is, this is wheelhouse, Can I tell you man. something, I, though? There's, there, am I wrong? Is there a notion out there in the culture now that this kind of a discussion is not a discussion we should be having because it's so elitist that it's that it's whatever because mm. i think it's great i love this kind of stuff i think it's fun i will say this if we really want to talk about it i think there's a difference between prescriptive and descriptive grammar i love i'm learning something now what does that even mean so again this is i'm trying to reach way back i took linguistics a long time ago but I believe there's a kind of grammar, like a school of thought that people should obey the rules that exist. And mm -hmm. I think that's more prescriptivism. Again, I could be wrong on all of this. A linguist is going to write down, write in and, and correct me and everything. But that being said, I believe there's a school of thought that is like, we have rules. This language has rules. We impose these rules. This is how people speak the language and write and spell and all that stuff. And then the other version is a little more pliable. It's a little like, hey, people's usage changes and we need to flow with it. And that's how language evolves. Otherwise, we'd all be speaking a really primitive form of Old English or even beyond that. We'd, or we'd be speaking... So, right. so I, I kind of am like, look, things change and th different things become acceptable. Like, there's definitely changes. In, obviously, there's new words all the time. So why not new grammar rules? If that's what people use, you know? So anyway... Um, a great digression. We And by the way, this is what we do in the room to waste time and just never talk about the show because <laughs> would, it would be great to just talk about anything other than the show. We No one wanted to work and we'd always waste and time. And you know when you're talking about grammar, you really want to waste time. <laughs> yeah. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Um, I did notice a funny scene where April and Andy are throwing like bread at each other, um, and it was it was right next to where we parked. So I just remember that's where we parked our cars. That's the so if you watch that scene, go back and watch that scene. There's like a Prius in it and stuff like so. So they're by the parking structure, and that's on the CBS Radford lot. Literally, if you turned the camera to the left, you would see the stage where Parks and Rec was shot, and you would go in the doors. That was where the writing offices were, and whatever. I remember walking down those stairs at that structure, and we're like, that's the kind of thing where Morgan Sack is like, oh, we could just shoot that right outside and we don't have to pay anything and we just shoot it there and save money. And it's like, okay, that, that actually works there. So yeah, I, I um, love that that shows when they really make full usage of not only the, the soundstage, but the lot like I, I was, I had a friend who worked on Alias. Alias, clearly every episode took place in like, mom was in the Middle East then she had to go to Paris and she was underground in mainland China, whatever. It was all, literally all on the Disney lot. And there's, <laughs> there was one patch, like, like a, a, triangle of grass the size that that honestly like if you were in an apartment complex you'd be happy to be able to walk your dog to go to the bathroom like you, we all know what that looks like and that triangle was afghanistan it was vietnam <laughs> yeah. it was miami beach it yeah, was man. it was so funny the, the way it's that amazing. people can pinch a penny and make something work for a location yeah, it's like all right we put a mime on the grass it's paris we put a yurt on the grass it's mongolia we put yeah we put we, we put anything right it's like yeah it's, it just it just works man <laughs> it's, but uh you have to make but by the way this is the challenges of television production like we i had a conversation this morning we're, we're doing a show right now it's like you have trade-off you have trade-offs and efficiencies and all this stuff. It's like, okay, you want to shoot this expensive location. Where can we save money elsewhere? And shooting on the lot is a huge, huge leg up for you because it saves your money for other. If you can make it work, if it looks at all anything like what you want, and and, and you're not sacrificing the look, then it's. Have good. you ever walked on a lot and seen and been blown away? And you go, "Holy crap! I'm in Hollywood." I mean, I still have times. Like I walk on a lot. A lot of times, I go, "Yeah, that." Yeah, whatever. Good for you. Trying that, whatever. And then, and then you see somebody using the lot in a way that you just go, yeah, movie magic is real. It's ma It's actual magic. I actually feel that way all the time at the Universal lot because I. So I have an office there, um, and and just to just to do writing and and and, uh, you know, if I'm just writing, thinking, or just like taking a walk to like clear my mind, it's you're on the back lot, yeah. and not only are they filming stuff. It's the Back to the Future lot. It's you know, it, it, it's all these you know, iconic cityscapes. Yeah, exactly, Psycho, and 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 then there's also the trams going by. So there's there's people doing the Universal Studio tour, and the thing that really makes me feel sort of really grateful and and you know a little bit emotional is like I remember going on that tour as a kid because I grew up in Southern California. So like on my birthday, I might get to go to Universal Studios, and there's a portion of the tour where they drive past the bungalows. Where you know the, the tour guide said, "Here are writers and producers who make the 
TV shows and films that you love. I'm like, that's my bungalow now. Like I have a bungalow there and it's like, that's insane to me. Like that is like, that breaks my brain. And like that, that's when I feel really lucky and, 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 and you can't believe that you made it there. You know, you just can't believe it. Cause I remember when I was seven years old, you know, I remember when I was doing the West wing, walking in my Sam Seaborn suit around the corner at Warner brothers. And all of a sudden I was in like feudal Japan and there was Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. Oh my with God. With like rickshaws. And I thought, Yo. this is as radical as it gets. This yes. Is, yes. Like, it's, it's fantastic. The, the, uh, the, the uh, War of the World set at Universal is also like that. Have you been to that set? I that haven't is like been the, since it's there. They, I hear it's insane. Yeah. So, they, they, so Steven Spielberg built a, a downed 747. Right. And it's still up there. You can still see it. And I think they maybe use it for other shows and movies now. But... It is enormous, and they can light parts of it on fire still, and they can. It is spectacular if you, if you get to walk through it, or, or you, I think the tour goes through it briefly. But um, yes, I I truly you, and, and I didn't realize this when I was a little younger. I'd always be like location, 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 which is still good, right? You can whether it's whether it's a huge you know a magnificent mansion or like a tiny apartment. I was like, you can't fake a location. That was my theory, and this part of me is still like, yeah, that sort of dogma of theory of like you got to be there. But I will say having done enough st- stuff on set and on, on on stage and all that stuff, man, you don't know. We did the third season of Master of None and, and we shot it almost entirely on a stage and everyone asked me where that house is. Everyone asked me where the house is. And it's we built the entire thing. Amy Williams, our production editor, built the entire house. Wow. And it's on a stage in London and we were pretending it was upstate New York and nobody knew. Nobody knew. So movie magic all the people all the artisans and craft people and and people who 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 build that stuff is incredible i like to i like to watch things and go soundstage or location and try to guess like 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 you know i'm obsessed with vikings we've been talking about vikings and uh and by the way because the lead is named rollo yeah the co one of the i think he's the handsome scars guard one of the bazillion the scars guards are the baldwins i'm scandinavia (laughs) there's like a gazillion of them and um, one one of them is his character's name is Rollo, and um, but I like to go, oh yeah, I think I think I think that's actually a fake rain outside that door, and that door leads actually to a hallway. It's not doesn't lead to the moors of Scotland or whatever. It's fun to try to try to out outguess the filmmakers. Yeah, and we're getting to a really really wild point in time where if your mon- if your show has enough money, like The Mandalorian or something. You go inside an entire volume. It's just a 360 green screen and tons of that show. I believe, I think all of it is, is just shot on stage. All of Mandalorian is shot in a ring. Of, and it's, it's not a green screen. It's an LED screen that they, that they can program anything in the world into. And then within the ring, there might be some rocks or some trees or some dirt or whatever but the ent- yeah. it's insane. All of Mandalorian, all of it, all of the is entire, in a ring, the entire in a sound show. stage. I want to pitch a show where I shoot like that, but I use my ring to just look like a studio backlot. So it's like I'm going to pay <laughs> millions of dollars. It, this show has a budget of two hundred million dollars, but it just photorealistic CBS Radford or Universal lot, just like <laughs> like okay, we'll do it. I mean, we could just step outside, but <laughs> I'm shooting in the ring uh, this season on. Uh, 911 Lone Star we're going to do oh, um, we're going to do 911 Oh um, wow I'm going to I'm going to ask you about that my like character, how it is my character yeah. is a is a survivor of 
9-11, firemen who survived 9-11. So we're right. going to do a, a, a flashback episode and, and to do World Trade Center 9-11 towers, all, it's so complicated. We're going to recreate the lobby, but it's all going to be um, on the ring. I'm really, really excited to work that way. I've never worked that technology. I am very curious about it. I, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to chat with John Favreau recently about how they did Mandalorian. I'd love to pick your brain after you do it. But um, speaking of rain, by the way, the beginning of this episode is they do rain in the courtyard. It does not look as good as the Mandalorian necessarily. I thought it was it does good, not though. look super real. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was okay. So again, that courtyard is inside for outside. You know why? Because the sunlight, they do sunlight super well. Yeah, the sun, the sunlight, which also made this makes the stage baking hot baking and it might as well actually be an actual sun how, for how hot it makes it there's a, the west wing was the same way whenever we lit oh, really whenever we lit the oval with midday sun by the end of the day you were just schwitzing oh, it's yeah and and you've got makeup on right so it's melting it's just all, all over your face is it did you find because you know obviously tommy shalami lighting that show like is was it were the lighting setups longer than parks is, is my guess. Were they longer? <laughs> There's no lighting in parks. <laughs> well, but, but in fairness though, Tom Del Ruth, who was the DP on, on West wing, um, did they, they lit the set because we just didn't have the time. And then the act the, the, the lighting, the actors was, was an afterthought. Parks was the same. It was like, we yeah. lit the set and the act, it was an afterthought. I remember one day when I was like, could, would it kill anybody to put a bounce underneath me? There's and, no bounce. And, and, oh, we don't do that. And we I remember Polar that. looked at me. I'll never forget it. Polar looked at me like, I love you. Oh, yeah. I, God I bless mean, you, Rob Lowe. And yeah. I, think, I think for the last couple of seasons, I could be wrong, and we got to get Trammer, one of the DPs on the show. Yes. Every once in a while, everyone, not a lot, but every once in a while, they might give the actors just a smidge of help. Because figure, you're... On 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 the fifth day of consecutive thirteen hour days, you know, a little bounce under the eyes wouldn't kill you. Give her a bounce. Give, Give her a, a bounce. Woman a bounce. It's also just a guy holding a card, right? It's not, that's right. It's, it's not, not hard. We're not. We're not getting. We're not. We're not bringing in a condor to add additional lights, right? We're just, this is this is uh yeah, not that yeah. But but people were not really lighting on that show for vanity. Certainly, it was it was more about let's let's hang a hang a hang a light overhead and just shoot for speed. But uh, it allowed for fun stuff. Allowed for fun stuff. Um, the uh, another thing I wanted to point out was. Uh, Ron's running in this episode, <laughs> he is, which was a very deliberate choice that I was on the fence about. I remember when we shot it, but it is very funny in retrospect. He uh, he says, you know, he says he ate all the bacon. He found the bacon in Leslie's pa- uh, pack and says, now it's gone and I hate everything. And he runs away. <laughs> um, and then later on, he he runs again when he runs toward the food because he's hungry. And he was like, he, he basically, I think, justified it by saying uh, when Ron's hungry, he doesn't care what he looks like and he wants to just run toward the food. Running but, is a reoccurring theme on the show. There's a lot of <laughs> Pratt runs a lot, usually without clothes. Yeah. Ron running is a big part of this. Obviously, Chris Traeger, you know, yeah. is completely built on running. Um, hey, he wants to run to the moon. He wants to run to the moon. He wants to run to the moon. He's going to run to the moon. He's going to log the hours. Yeah. And, and, and I love also that your favorite thing about the show is the goofy jokes. And that's like a goofy joke that's also character building. So that's like, uh, yeah, that, right. That's so good. The, the goofier, yeah. the better. Um, yeah. There, Swanson, well, you know, um, Nick is a, like a extremely powerful guy. He's like that body of his, he's like, how do you, it's like, he's not really chiseled out of granite. It's not so much that, but, but he's, 
he, he it's like he's he, solidly built right it's like uh it, it's yes he's a he's a burly man he's a barrel chest he's barrel chested and and he's sort of like he's like yeah he's built of oak he's he's pretty solid yeah but seeing him haul ass it's very good it's very funny man it's and and the other the other directors are funny there's one of the one of the one of the guys michael is played by michael gross from uh from family ties that's and, right and, uh and so i remember we were when we were casting him and and uh when he goes off on his rant and we reveal that he's like quote unquote strange or something, his rant actually very reasonable now. He's just saying weed should be legal. So now, <laughs> now he's in there. Now he's totally sane. Like in 2021, 2022, whatever. Like his thing is like he's totally sane. Like, yeah, he was smoking weed. It's like, yeah, you can do that now. <laughs> and people are like, oh my God. You cut to like Leslie and Ron. They're like, oh, they're so mad that this guy likes weed. And I'm like, you know what? That guy was right. So that ca- apologies to that character, Michael, because and, and uh, he the, was right. Uh, it's a nice tie up of who planted the weed in the pit from way yes, back he when. Said, yeah, he's like, I, I planted weed in community gardens all over the uh, weird, like, there's not, there's world building the show, but there's not usually that many callbacks, and like, that's a callback from many episodes ago. Many right? episodes like, ago. 18 episodes ago or something, so that's the writers being like, ooh, that's kind of fun for us, um, and, and and I think, I remember we were pitching for a while about what made these guys sort of difficult personalities and, and what would work, and I think I think we shot we shot a lot more stuff with them just to see what was the best stuff, and I think I, the best stuff probably made it in this episode. But uh, um, yeah, it was that was a little bit tricky figuring out like how to make them awful without making them totally horrible people. But uh, yeah, it was it, it was fun to do ultimately, and, and and yeah, it was fun to have Michael Gross on the show. I know what a legend. There's nothing yeah. better than when, as an actor, when you you show up and like you're acting with someone, and maybe it's early and you haven't really focused, and you look over and you go, "Holy, wait a minute!" I remember this happened on. Was it Parks and Rec? No, it was something. I, I looked over and I said, wait a minute, you're Michael O'Keefe. You're Danny fucking Noonan from Caddyshack. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And I was like, He's oh like, my yeah, God. You look over, it's Michael Gross. You're like, you just yeah, can't. Michael Gross says, you were the dad on Family Ties. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's such a fun thing, man. And, so, and, and that happens when, uh, uh, you know, actors come in to read. It's like, we were reading an actor from uh, a different world the other day. I was like, oh man, you were on a different world. <laughs> like, that's really cool. Like, I remember that You're show. Like, that like, is literally a different world. That's amazing. Yeah, now, yeah it's, but, um, it's really good, man. And, you know, watching this episode also made me think, uh, about the challenge sometimes in a show like this of balancing, you know, episodic concerns with serialized concerns. And, and by that, mm-hmm. I mean, Parks is very much, uh, well, you know, look, Parks is a show that you can pick up almost any episode and just watch it and it exists on its own. And, and there's a self-contained story, which is nice, right? Which is nice because you don't have to watch the entire show. That being said, there were definitely serialized elements within that. Like, if you compare it to shows now, like, a lot of shows, they're like, it's like a 10-hour movie. It's like, well, I don't always want to watch a 10-hour movie, yes. right? It's like that, that, and sometimes that's too long, and, it, and you have to, you know, picks up exactly where the last episode left off. So, in Parks, it was more like, okay, it's lightly serialized. We have these ongoing arcs, but, y- you know, you can enjoy the show without knowing the intricacies of each and every, like, it's not like Westworld or something, right? It's like, I gotta know every, man, I don't know what happened. I'm totally lost. But in this one, it's like, yeah, Andy and April are kind of getting together and Ann and Mark are kind of breaking up. And that's kind of all you have to service, right? So, you, you know, you kind of work that into the overall story, which is about this catalog. And so, I don't know, It's it's a fun kind of game of, let's make sure this episode's really satisfying on its own for, for the viewer, but also can you make it a richer show by having these long-term arcs that, you know, pay off in the end. Uh, and, so that's and, my and, favorite type yeah. of television. I mean, 
is is uh, is is the best of both worlds. You know, I because I I find that it's a for me it's a barrier of entry to know once like. I can't just walk in on episode five. I've got to start it from the beginning. And a lot of people love it. They super, super, super love it. I like to be able to to have both where I can watch any episode. And then the more I watch in order, there's the added value of the, the threads that are being woven, like you're discussing, but you don't have to see absolutely every episode. Yeah, and, and even when, when it is a continuous story, I mean, there's something to an episode feeling like an episode. It, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's an art to, yeah, okay, we're doing a miniseries, it's seven hours, but you kind of, it's kind of helpful to the viewer to build in a beginning, middle, and end for that piece, you know, for that episode. I think that's, we're, we're in a really interesting time in, in, in storytelling, you know, visual storytelling, because there's obviously films, there's long-running television shows, ongoing. There's miniseries. There's things that are in between. Like, all these Marvel shows, like, we don't even know if they're miniseries. Like, two of them were miniseries, and then Loki was an ongoing series. Like, we don't even know. So it's like, you're kind of, as a viewer, you're just kind of, like, trying to grasp onto something. And and it's nice when the episode works as an episode um, for shows. And, and, and I think there's something comforting to the viewer about that. Yeah, totally. Do you remember um, how in Greg Daniels in the room would call them vectors? Right, that every character should be on some kind of a vector throughout the season, and every yes. episode should at some point tie into that vector. Hopefully, and they don't always have to be full bore about that specific storyline, but to help give you like a journey through the season. I, I still use that term in in writers' rooms sometimes, and it's you know it's similar to an arc or something. But you might say like, "Hey, the vector for April and Andy for the second half of season two was that they get." they grow closer together. There's an obstacle along the way, but then they end up together at the end. Right. And it's very simple, but once you keep that in your mind, you can kind of track all of these things. Right. And it's like Leslie's arc is she grows. She's, she's very book smart, but she learns a little bit more about dealing with other people along her way and like building her team along the way to her goal or whatever it is. And Ron is really hard nosed and then he becomes a little softer. So you can have individual vectors or you can have sort of vectors in between characters where a relationship builds. Is there any value at all? To having a character who never changes, and I think of Archie Bunker. Yeah, yeah. So that's a different that's a different thing, right? I think there are shows that do that a lot more. I think that was a lot more common in the past. Like, look, look at Seinfeld, right? It's like those characters don't grow and change. This is different. That that's that show. But there's also like, yeah, some characters never change, right? And and usually, um, you know, man, it's it's really your philosophy of what that show is going to be. Right. It really is like, you know, do you have a long term arc for the entire series for your character or is it more like the world changes around them and they stay the same? You know, I think they're, they're both valid. They're both valid. And, and comedy used to be more uh, the, the, the latter, which the characters don't change. Right. And it's like you're stranger in a strange land or whatever, you know. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Shall we move to the town howl? Is it a howl today? Is today a howl? Is it a town hall or a town howl today? Now I'm just going town howl every time, but is it a town howl? It is. Schulte says it's a town howl. Oh, so that God. means it's a voicemail. Where should we do this uh, town howl? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, should we do it in this picnic area that is in the summer catalog, that is in Harvey James Park? Yes. Um, a picturesque place that April and Andy get their picture taken and where the uh, previous park directors uh get in their fight let's do it at this picnic table yep come on everybody Um, come to the picnic it's time to howl let's do it shelty hi i'm michael from washington dc and i'm a big nerd so obviously i loved the cones of dunshire i was wondering (laughs) if ron swanson were to make his own board game what would it be like thanks (laughs) oh what a great question wow i love that that is okay So the meats of Pittsburgh, I know yeah, a lot of thoughts, right? So just thinking about like, you know, baseline, you would think it would be simple, right? Because he's a simple man. He likes meat. He likes breakfast food. He likes pretty brunette women. He likes woodworking. However, he also loves puzzles. Let's not forget that he loves scavenger hunts. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I almost think here's a crazy pitch, Rob. It's a two-sided board game. On the top, it's the simplest game you've ever seen. I'm thinking literally like a tic-tac-toe level simple game yep. because that's the surface that he presents to the world. Mm-hmm. And on the back side, it's a super complicated puzzle. Maybe there's a musical element with jazz. <laughs> what do you think, Rob? Ooh. I'm trying to think what else. <laughs> oh, I, I like that. I mean, what if it's a, what's, I can never pronounce this word. It's, it's, it's the big piece of wood. Ron likes wood. We're working w- that has meat on it and cheese, usually charcuterie. Char- oh, charcuterie. Charcuterie. Char- a little salumi plate. What if it's, if, if it's like, oh. it's, it's like we're using, cause you, it, you got meat, <laughs> different meats. You've got wood. Sometimes the board <laughs> looks like a big paddle, the kind that they used to yes. beat me with in elementary school back in Ohio. And other times it looks like a pizza thing thing. So you could have, all kinds of arti- artistic stuff there. You can move things, move meats, various meats around like Monopoly. I love that. Instead of like the top hat, you're like the... Um, it's bacon-wrapped shrimp. You're ba- the bacon-wrapped shrimp. <laughs> yeah, you're bacon-wrapped shrimp, and then there's, you know, a meat tornado, and then there's the turf and turf. Those are the pieces, right? Yes. All, glass, of, glass of Lagavulin whiskey, a little glass of Lagavulin. So those are your game pieces. I love that it's carved out of wood. And I think I think we we, we do it. Meats and cheeses are are the pieces. Maybe Steffi Graf is one of the pieces. Yes. And then and then you turn it over, and it's the most it's the most complicated puzzle you've ever seen. So like it's like it's, a, it's just something for the brain. But man, uh, 
This is the mark of a good character where uh, where there's no end to how you could make the game more complicated and 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 uh, and and rich. What should it be called? I'm uh, trying to think the of the thing. name now. I mean, do we so, do we stay with the alliterative model of Cones of Dunshire? Like I said, it's the meats of Pittsburgh. It's I don't know what it, it's whatever it is. Is there that, or does he have his own his own way of his own? It's got to be. I mean. <laughs> It's a well, game. Ron's game is was was yes. Ron's game is really really high up there because let's not forget he called it the Swanson Pyramid of Greatness and he named his team the Swansons. Oh. So he's not big on naming things uh, in a florid manner. So I love Ron's game, all caps, very simple font. <laughs> I like that. You sold yeah. me. I think we've done uh, it. I think we need to call Mattel. I mean, let's do it. This is we we made Cones of Dunshire. It was its own thing. I loved that episode. I can't wait to get to that one. But uh, um, it's a real game, and uh, um, man, I loved writing stuff for that one too. That was really fun. Um, thank you for the question, Michael from Washington D.C. Town Howl, Town Howl voicemail. Send in your voicemails, and and maybe we'll get to them, and uh, we'll answer them in our own townhouse. Um, we'll we'll say goodbye to the picnic area. I think that's all we got. Yeah, Rolo. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, another fun one for me. Uh, a lot of great stuff in this one. Alan, you are um, you're the man. I'm going to let you uh, sign us off. Let's say goodbye. Thank you to producer Schulte. Thank you, producer Craig. Goodbye from Pawnee. Bye, everybody. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.